when we started this podcast a few years back, I was really thinking a lot about what's it mean to walk in the spirit. That's what he's talking about. It's not just in the temple. It's not just reserved for Sundays. It's everywhere present at all times present, right? Within you and without you. It's a whole different worldview and orientation to life. If you know that, if you can carry that knowledge with you in every activity and everything that you do, your next breath, Jesus is your next breath. In him, we live and move and have our being. It's not like we just take a little God and stuff him in our heart. It's the other way around. We offer ourselves to him. We join him. Yeah. The Shepherd and the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com, search for the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast, and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit. Because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology. Or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Marty, it is good to see you on screen. Good to see you, Matt. On the internet. (laughs) On the internet. I know you've been super busy. I've been busy. And... I just wonder what is the most helpful stuff when you're super busy? Uh, Your topic today, you picked a great one and I have far too many notes and thoughts to cover all of it, but I think that you're on it because here's the deal. We like to do hard things. I like to do hard things, but sometimes um, there's peace around that. And sometimes I feel overwhelmed. Okay. And Here's what's critical to to it is what we're going to talk about. So now, are we calling this beyond meaning and purpose? Yeah, yeah. It's the final episode for now of our identity crisis series. You know, we've talked about what is it that is causing so much questioning of identity and people in crisis, and I think it's that we've been set up through the centuries. We've given a brief history lesson to think of ourselves as consumers. I mean, some of this goes back to the Industrial Revolution. Some of it goes back to the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. But we've been trained to think of ourselves as consumers. And all that comes along with the power of choosing anything we want, whatever we want, mixing and matching. We've also been taught to think of ourselves as spectators. My identity is a consumer who is a spectator, meaning I'm watching everything on screen. I'm not living life firsthand. Massively. They want nothing but my attention. And that means I'm only experiencing happiness secondhand. I'm not experiencing it on the front lines of my own life. Then third, we talked about this identity we've been handed by our independence and our freedom to be self-absorbed individualists. And we become obsessed with ourselves. The truth is, even without being handed that, chances are we think a lot more about ourselves than we think about anybody else. Which means to suffer, because we've talked about this a lot, that the self-conscious emotions are generally painful. The pride, the shame, the guilt, the anxiety, which is a self-conscious orientation. You know, am I safe? Um, What do people think about me? Am I going to be rejected? They're very painful. The level of suffering from these identities that we've been handed, that we've bought into more or less, is leading us to greater levels of mental pain, Mm -hmm. perhaps, than we've ever had. Yeah, and I think that your message on the series is resonating because since we started this, uh, we were growing, but we almost doubled in the uh, downloads of the podcast. So people need to know this because it really is a meaning crisis, which is what we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. We've been talking the last two weeks about how we think and how that's impacted our identity and the crisis that we're experiencing. We talked about that we sort of think beyond right and wrong now, that that's, that's so old, so outdated, so antiquated, beyond right and wrong. I know, but Matt, there's a performative error because the whole issue, if you believe that, is you have a sense of what's right and wrong, and you're making a truth claim. You can't avoid it. 
don't 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 fool yourself. You can't avoid it. That's why we're in crisis. Yes. We're denying mm-hmm. truth. Yes. And I know you talk about reality therapy uh-huh. and helping people understand the reality of their current situation. I remember one time we were on a walk and I was losing my mind, relatively speaking. And you said, pause for a moment. And you said, look around, where's the threat? Yeah. And I had to face the reality. There was nothing charging at me and attacking me in that moment. And the peace that that gave me to be kind of a a home base on which to rebuild my thinking was yeah. so powerful. It was profound. Yeah. Thank you for that. If case yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't remember that, but um, uh, I'll tell you, um, did the truth set you free in that moment? Totally. So the truth is, I don't care what the truth is. Maybe it's a loss of uh, a pet or whatever it is, or loss of a job. If we can face up to the truth, it is far better than the alternative, which is the distortion. Yeah. The distortions are what cause us. Now you, you'll still be sad or something like that if it's a loss or something like that, but that's way better than the distortions of um, it's over for me. I have no chance at life anymore. I can't stand this or those sorts of um, distortions because the fact of the matter is it's quite the opposite. You will, you can stand this. It will be painful. You can face pain. Wow. Is the distortion what causes the psychosis like we, we go down this path of, of delaying what we know we need to face. Yes. So we cover yeah. it up. Yes. And the world is a complicated place. There's no doubt about it. And there's a lot of chaos that we need to be to bring order to. So what people want to accept is it's normal to have distortions. The goal isn't to have no distortions because we can't know everything immediately. We have to figure things out. Even perceptions can be distorted. You think that's a person. It's not. It's a tree at dusk, you know, but, but when you have the distortion, it sure feels like it's, who's that? And then as soon as you correct that, right, and um, you want to disqualify that as quickly as possible. Oh, that's not a person. It's a thing. And then you'll settle down. That's what I mean by the truth. What Christ said, the truth will set you free. It does. You get this feeling of well-being again, a return to some some calm or peace. Mm-hmm. That ties in so well with what we're talking about today. So we're thinking beyond right and wrong. We're thinking beyond God. We somehow have antiquated God when the reality, I, I like to say as a Christ filer, Jesus is my next breath. Yeah. And, and when I, when I go to scripture or when I go to quiet time or just reflection or just being it's not so much get god to fit into my life but it's it's a way that i can try i can seek to fit into his way into his kingdom into his reality which is the true reality is what i would say but that leads us to this third or sixth if you want to put it that way sixth identity crisis it's a third challenge in our thinking, and that is that we have left meaning behind. In other words, we've, we're not just thinking beyond right and wrong. We're not just thinking beyond God. We're thinking beyond meaning and purpose. And what that has done for us is literally put a lens in front of our eyes. And it's what we call worldview. You know, a common worldview today. Worldviews are ways that we see the world that are so deep and so underlying, we aren't even aware of them, but they affect every part of our lives, how we live, how we work, how we relate. And we have this worldview that says, or that's being handed to us, that says the world is devoid of meaning and purpose. How much yeah. of that is a factor for you? Uh, that is the, the issue. When, when there's struggle, that is the issue. So tell me this, because it's very hard to define that word. Everyone seems to know what it means when we say meaning, and and we seem to know what meaningless is. But what are we talking about when we talk about meaning? Hmm. I think the idea that life makes sense and our response to life makes sense. When, When meaningless violence happens, it makes no sense to us. And we have to adjust our thinking. 
I think that meaning is when truth lines up with reality and I can have a grasp of it. It makes sense to me. Like, for example, there are so many young musicians today who are singing and they're full of so much anger in the lyrics and so much that doesn't make sense and how wronged they are. And part of me like slips into like old fogey mode. And I'm like, what do these kids have to be so mad about? They're multimillionaires performing who have everything that they want. They've got no reason to be so negative all the time. But I think rather than wondering about what this does to people, I want to look at what it tells us about people. Yeah. So Victor Frankl, people may have read his book, which you got to read this once a year. Man's it is so powerful. Yeah, um, because he was in a Nazi concentration camp. And what he noticed were the people who had purpose and meaning to go on survived. He could tell who was going to die because um, there was a anomi, A-N-O-M-I-E, right? Which means the absence of meaning. It's what happens, let's say, if you lose a loved one mm-hmm. or, or when you have this um, big void that suddenly you're thrown into and you don't have those things that you mentioned, you know, the qualities of meaning in your life. It's really, you can't live that way. People have to have some meaning. And he identified three things. That was around World War II when he wrote this. It's gotten worse in these three things. Tell me what you think. He saw that this triad was um, addiction, mm-hmm. aggression, and depression. Oh my gosh. Those are the three things that we're struggling against in the meaning crisis, according to Viktor Frankl. So we have addiction, aggression, and depression. How much are you seeing that all over the place? And not just in the congregation, in your personal relationships, online, especially on CNN, on Fox News. Online. How many of those three things are you, how often are you seeing? Yeah, yeah. It's like we just go looking for some kind of meaning. We look for some kind of buzz to numb our brains because we feel like there's no purpose. I think the word that I would say Lack of meaning leads to emptiness. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know how you describe that psychologically, but emptiness. And we don't even know how we're responding. It's this expression that life makes sense and life sucks and I've got no solutions. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know why anymore. Why am I doing this? Why does this matter? Why do I exist? Right. Some people think the opposite of an empty life or a meaningless life or search for meaning is that we try to fill our lives. We cram our schedules. We sign our kids up for every single thing we can think of. Mm -hmm. And if we're busy, 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 full of things, we won't slow down enough to see that our life is really empty. When the fact is it's just as empty, only we look busy. You know what? I think that you're onto that because what's his name? Richard Foster. He's the guy that um, wrote uh, after Dallas Willard. He was uh, a friend and collaborator. Mm -hmm. He said superficiality is the mark of our culture. Superficiality. And and, and that's kind of what you're saying. So it's not that you don't enjoy soccer and things like that, but if you think that the reward is going and and the meaningful life is going to come by more and more and more and elevate the individual, your kid needs to be up at the top of this stuff and has to have people below them, you know, honoring and showing adulation to them. That's very superficial compared to the deeper meaning that comes from Christianity, for instance, right? I think that we lose ourselves in stories because we try to find meaning in stories, but what that turns into is addiction to entertainment Mm -hmm. and experiences. And they're all disconnected. And we just go from one to the next, to the next, to the next, because we're on this quest to fill ourselves with something that is not going to last or something that only marginally on the surface looks good. But once you dig down deeper, you pause and say, why am I doing this? Yeah. It's a value systems kind of a problem. It is. But look, as Christianity wanes in our culture, and that's not true all over the world, it's actually growing. But in in America, that religious instinct remains. People just behave religiously. Okay. And something comes in to fill that. Right. So the religious instinct hasn't gone away at all. You've just replaced the gods with some idols. Right. Right. But so to take away a young person's faith 
you know, not just minimize it, but uh, scoff at it is to do violence to that child, I think. And I'm not telling you that you have to browbeat children, but you should, we should at least have a charitable view of Christianity. It's done so much for the world and not the superficiality of, of, of some of what we see in terms of Christianity and not the worst examples of the people who call themselves Christians, but show me the ideals of Christianity and let me see if that's a better target than more money, more status, more sex, you know, more hedonism, more pleasures, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's truly countercultural. Christianity, it's the most rebellious thing you can be right now, I think. Yeah, it's crazy. You want to be punk rock? Follow this to the best of your ability. <laughs> You'll be a rebel. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the Christian church is the most diverse grouping of humans on the planet. Mm -hmm. It unifies people. It doesn't divide. It unifies when done the way we are instructed to do it. It can hopefully add some meaning. You know, I'm still struck on the Viktor Frankl comment of these conditions from the 1940s. Obviously, in a concentration camp, if you want an insider's view of a concentration camp, is it the search for meaning or man's search? For man's meaning? search for meaning. It is so powerful. And it's not a long book, but the idea that it leads to addiction, aggression, and depression, man. I think he nailed it there. He's a prophet. He? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think the lack of coherent worldview that is causing this crisis, that's causing us to run, 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 run to everything and anything we think that's going to fill us up. We almost disguise it. We say, oh yeah, it's good to be on a quest for the truth, but you're never going to find it. Tell me more about that. That's interesting. Well, you know, people say, oh, life's all about the journey. And yes, that is true. But the fact is, my mouth is designed to sink my teeth on some kind of food. Yes. My brain is designed to sink my teeth on some kind of truth. Yeah, it's not that hunger is the point. Hunger leads you to that thing. So hunger is the journey. Right. But we have to have our eye on our destination, right? Exactly. And what if, what if I'm on the journey, but I'm crawling up the wrong mountain? <laughs> yes. I've done that. You know what I mean? Like, what? yeah, I've done that. Mm. So what's the highest ideal? Because everybody operates this way, that there's the highest ideal mm. there, there, there is right now. There's a, speaking of that, uh, I'll tell you something that happened on uh, the internet. My, one of my friends who's a, I guess he's an atheist. He had this kind of crude, you know, meme joke about Christ. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the whole thing was set up on the false premise that we worship the cross. So, so Jesus uses an expletive in this cartoon and says, um, you know, um, well, I hate crosses or something like that. And I just, you know, kindly as I could, I said, well, we don't worship the cross. It's a symbol. And I talk about the symbol means. And then one of his troll buddies just comes out with a laugh emoji Wow. What, what, what do you make of that? Like what, what, what is uh, inspiring someone? It's contempt for sure, because we don't laugh at somebody, any other thing. Nobody would want to do that. But what, what's the goal do you think in his mind? I didn't respond, but um, what do you think it is? Like, so here's this guy who has some faith and he's being polite and I'm going to ridicule. Well, I think it, it goes to the fact that we do live in a world of right and wrong or God and not God that there is a battle, a spiritual battle going on. Most mm -hmm. of it takes place within my own heart. Yes. You know, and right, the dividing line is down the middle of me and yeah. I'm doing battle within myself. And you got to remember, that's how everybody's approaching it. But why is that such easy pickings for somebody to mock? I don't see why people give it the time. If it's not true, just be done with it. Well, I know that's why I'm seeing there's a motivation of that. And, and, and by the way, I don't know what happened, but someone from... You know, the church is really lit up because apparently somebody dissed the faith to her and she's like really lit up about that. And she'll listen to this too. And um, my perspective was to do this. Okay. First of all, I have scoffed and I have mocked back when I was really ignorant. I had no idea what the faith was and I, and I was smarter than everybody else and Christians were dominant. So I want to have a little bit of compassion for this guy. Sure. That's why I didn't react to it. And then um, that's, tame persecution compared to what our ancestors that's went through. par for the course yeah but it is par for the course it's and, and and thankfully it's not as bad they're not lighting us up as uh candles um and torches on the on the streets anymore right. but right. that same feeling of contempt 
mm-hmm. towards Christians, we're, expect it. And then what's your best shot at bringing them over to be more tolerant? And it's not to meet that aggression with more aggression. You know, talking I've about got aggression. some, I've got some thoughts on that. As we yeah, please. About, what do we say to a world that is devoid of meaning and purpose that thinks yes. Elvis is alive and, <laughs> you know, but I want to say one thing for any of us who feel like we're getting picked on mm-hmm. or that Jesus is getting picked on, I would say he told us to expect it. He said, they hate me. They're going to hate you. Jesus said that. He also said, blessed are those. Blessed are, those, are you when people persecute you and in my name. insults at you. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the unique things about Christianity compared to other world religions where other religions, when, when their leader gets mocked, people get killed or threatened. But you know what? The the scriptures of the Bible, of the New Testament especially, they show people mocking Jesus. Yes. They put up a, a sign on top of the cross. Oh, here's the quote-unquote king of the Jews. Nice one, dude. You know what I mean? That is a part of what, what we would say as Christ followers in our worldview. Jesus was willing to endure not just the suffering, but the shame that came with all of that it was a it was a way to transformation yeah to go through that is a way through transformation that's exactly it but if you take god out of the middle of everything of course you're going to end up with nihilism oh yeah which is that nothing makes sense you know that here's our history lesson and then we'll jump into maybe some responses and it's this, the worldview shifted when the Renaissance came along in the 1300s, 1400s, 1500s. And, the, you know, these are rough estimates. There was a shift from being God-centered in the art, in the cultural expressions, to being humanity-centered. As they rediscovered the Greeks and the Roman art and literature and writings, it went from God to more of a human understanding. And then humanity began trading spaces with God, followed by the enlightenment, which as they were learning more and more about how the world works and that there is order, you know, and we don't have to be superstitious about everything, but there's explanations about stuff. Yeah. Real quick. um, Do you think that first point though, that we went from awe, right? There's something above us. There's some, an enchantment to pride and the, the disenchantment of the world. I think that we were in awe of the human body. We were in awe of our ability to figure things out. We were in awe of of the idea that we weren't just victims of fate. Do you really think that that's awe? Because I mean, I'm getting phenomenological about it because to me it's cold and it's there. If I think that everything is just like these physical things and when I can't find the physical thing, I invent something abstract like um you know atoms we, they were talking about atoms long before anybody saw them you know that microscope so there was always this everything always goes to its metaphysic but to me that's the cold sterile life i mean awe to me is like there's something way bigger than me there's something that um it, it's even beautiful right mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 like i can't understand and that's fine so when there's a mystery that big what do i do i drop to my knees and i worship it that's awe I, there is scientism, but I mean, qualitatively, if it's awe, it's a low level of awe. Yeah. Well, and in a way, what you're saying is exactly what happened historically and in art and culture is we move from the enlightenment of the age of reason and the music all reflects that it's Mozart versus Brahms and Beethoven, where in the 1800s, romanticism, mm-hmm. which isn't like romance novels, romanticism means that the world is full of meaning and it's humming with the supernatural, but it's absent of God, you know, the nymphs and all the stuff like that. And it's filled with opportunities that lack any inherent meaning. And then it was really out of the romantic response, which for some people was a response against the horrors of the industrial revolution. And the child labor and all that kind of stuff, the working conditions of people in the factories, the romanticism was kind of an escape from that in a way. And that the world does have meaning and purpose, but it's not having anything to do with God. It's absent of God. And then out of that is where we get like the philosopher Nietzsche, who sought to dismantle Christianity and its God-centered view. And what was left was nihilism or nihilism. 
the view that nothing of meaning exists. There are no facts, only interpretation. We're left with a worldview that in which there are no absolutes. Now, when somebody says, oh yeah, I don't believe in absolute truth. All you have to say is, are you absolutely <laughs> safe? <laughs> yes. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Yeah. They don't thank you for that. They never do. They get No, they don't appreciate it. They don't laugh the way I do when I yeah. get to say that. And the attitude, kind of the popular attitude, I would say among people today is like stuff happens, whatever. There's no God. God's dead. There's no meaning and purpose. Life is absurd. There is no predictability. The world's chaotic and there's no truth. And your perspective is everything. And I think that's in the recent years, perspective is everything. My truth. Uh, that I never heard anyone say that till recently. No one says, well, speak your truth. And that's a nonsensical statement. There's either truth or there isn't. Mm-hmm. If, if that's the case, then there's no truth. And then that's a truth claim in and of itself. See, it's circular. Exactly. And, and what's interesting about this is how, how similar the 21st century is with the first century AD. Hmm. I hadn't thought of that. That's the world into which the church was birthed. The first century Roman culture lived beyond meaning and purpose, beyond right and wrong, beyond God. They were consumers. They were spectators. They were self-absorbed individuals. They accomplished many things. It was multicultural. It was multilingual. They were attracted to the wild side, sex with anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were the wealthy man, you could pick anything. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Other addictions were a big part of that. Uh, violence was a big part of it. There were barbarians. Today we have new barbarians. They were into multiple worship of multiple gods, multiculturalism. And not, you know, that's not a bad thing, but hostility toward those who espoused only one view of faith or religion. The Romans were hostile to that. Yes. And what's pretty interesting is how similar that is to a lot of what's going on today. And there's an amazing account from the first century. The writings are from the first century. It's from what's called the book of Acts in the Bible. It's the fifth book of the New Testament, which means the new covenant or the new relationship with God. The New Testament starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different accounts of the life of Jesus. And and yet they fit together really well. But Luke, one of the people who wrote the gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. So Luke is about Jesus. The book of Acts would be about his followers after Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. But in the book of Acts, it starts with the early church in Jerusalem, and it starts growing. They get persecuted. One of the biggest persecutors actually becomes a Christian. It's crazy. The guy's name was Saul. That was his Jewish name, And then he goes by Paul. And so he's then starting, I think, partly out of remorse and partly because this call of God on his life, he goes to other cultures in the Greco-Roman world and begins these communities, Christian communities. We call them churches, but don't picture a church building. And so here's Paul, and he is in Athens. We can still visit Athens today. This isn't just like made up on a mountaintop kind of stuff. Right. And by the way, their God was Athena. Right. Athens, Athena. Yeah, that's what they worshiped and their behavior followed. Wisdom. Right. Well, it's also the God of war. Right. Right. Yeah, she was a warrior goddess. And Mm. she's not the goddess of the hunt. That was Artemis, Mm. who had one of the seven ancient wonders of the world temples. This is Athena in Athens. She's a bomb. Yeah. Like the whole song, Athena, right? Oh my she's gosh. Not a, she's just a girl. She's a bomb. <laughs> Back to our rocker days, baby. Yeah, yeah. So this is from the account of Acts chapter 17. And I'm going to start in verse 16. I'm going to read a chunk and then ask you what you think. So this is Paul. While Paul was waiting for them, meaning some of his traveling companions, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day. So Jews and God-fearing Greeks, Jews 
were culturally Jewish and they believed in the God of what we call the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. The God-fearing Greeks were Greek people who weren't culturally Jewish, but they saw and were so drawn to what the Bible, the scriptures at that time, meaning the Old Testament, said about God and about humanity. So Paul is reasoning in the synagogues with Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with Paul. Yeah, by the way, Matt, that's really important because our philosophy right now is Epicurean. What they were is that there's just matter. Like, like they just dismiss consciousness, which is spirit, right? That doesn't matter. It's just things matter. Now that's huge because the consequences of that, think it through today as you go after this podcast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are giant consequences to it. But anyway, keep going. Good point. And Stoics denied any kind of pleasure on earth. Stoic, we still use this word, these words today. They began to dispute with Paul. Some of them said, what's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul's looking around and he's freaked out for these lost people. He had a heart for these people. And I guess that's something worth stressing out about or being distressed about are people in their lostness. I wonder if, if that, that thought could redeem how we think about or treat those in need. So he talks with them. He's reasoning them with them in the marketplace. That's on their turf. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty, pretty awesome. We don't have to like just hide in churches or whatever. And Paul focuses on Jesus and the resurrection. And, and that's good news. He's not focusing, you know, it's, it's good news. This isn't a hammer that he's attacking people with. So here's what happens next. So they took him and they brought him to a meeting in the Areopagus. You can visit those ruins today. Where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. And then there's a parenthetical comment. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. If that doesn't describe the internet, I don't know what does. <laughs> the internet tends to not be as sophisticated, but yeah. I, I, I know. <laughs> the Areopagus would be like where you come and you debate all the stuff in the public forum. So Paul gets their attention and they're like, hey, come to our official spot and let's talk about this. And that makes me ask myself a question. Am I saying anything or am I living in a way as to get anybody's attention for good or bad? Or am I just like "Eh," all to myself? So that's a good question for all of us to ask ourselves. Yeah. What's the meaning? You get at What's the meaning? Is is there meaning in this? Yeah. Why are they the way they are? Why do they speak the way they do? Is there anything distinct? Is there anything refreshing about what I'm doing or how I'm living? So Paul went to them. And he sets himself apart from their basic beliefs. He doesn't just go along with everything. So then here's something pretty cool. So Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around Athens and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And then he says, now what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. You know, he didn't just close his eyes as he walked around. He did become a student of the culture and he didn't bash it. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to go. We don't have to do that. We're supposed to love our enemies, right? Our opponents, right? Yeah. And Paul knows every human being worships something. Say that again. Every human being worships something. Yeah. Don't fool yourself. You'll, you'll know because that's the thing that you want to emulate. That's the thing you want to join and become. And that's the thing you sacrifice to. You sacrifice your time, your money, and the most valuable thing, which is your attention. Ask yourself those questions. You'll know what you worship. The problem is some of us worship some pretty bad gods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Small G, if you want to call it that. And then what's cool is Paul uses their own culture and their own terms to describe God to them. So here's how he makes the jump. 
he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord, meaning the chief, the master of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all people life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Okay. That's, that gets to the concept that I was, when we started this podcast a few years back, I was really thinking a lot about what's it mean to walk in the spirit. That's what he's talking about. It's not just in the temple. It's not just reserved for Sundays. It's everywhere present at all times present right? Within you and without you. It's a whole different worldview and orientation to life. If you know that, if you can carry that knowledge with you in every activity and everything that you do, your next breath, Jesus is your next breath. That's mm-hmm. what we're talking about. In him, we live and move and have our being. It's not like we just take a little God and stuff him in our heart. I got Jesus in my heart. It's the other way around. We offer ourselves to him. We join him. Yeah. And so he reminds them of their own culture. He realized God is already at work here when he saw that statue to an unknown God. And then he goes on to say this. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by people's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. And he's given proof of this to all people by raising him from the dead. Gold. That's gold. Um, And when you use the word repent, understand repent, because we're sort of materialists. So we just think in terms of behavior, like say you're sorry for getting drunk and, um, and behaviorally move on. But there's more than that. It's a change of mind. In orientation, that's what repentance is. We think repent is just, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Repentance is not just about the past. No, it's about transformation. Yeah. It's about, I am walking in a new direction. I am different now. Yeah. Right. It's not just a behavior. The behavior follows. I think the behavior is secondary. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be really hateful and not express it. Right. But you're still hating somebody. You're not changed. Yeah. So I think Paul tells him here, he's telling them about a personal relationship with God. And he's, he's calling them to another way of living. And then here's something interesting. Here's the reaction. So when these guys heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, kind of like your illustration on the post about the cross. Some of them sneered, but other people said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So with that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. I love that they are naming men and women. Yes. You know, it's not like all the other writings where women were just ignored. I mean, this is a significant thing. Paul takes the initiative and he leaves the results up to God. We have about as much influence on stuff as far as I can reach. I know. But it doesn't stop me from trying to change you. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't stop me from living that way. (laughs) So it doesn't stop me from taking the initiative. Uh I don't know if I'm going to say things right. I don't know if I'm going to do things right. But I'm going to commend my caring as best as I know how to people. And I don't, that doesn't mean you smother anybody, but it's maybe for somebody, this is a chance to step out, step Mm -hmm. out a little bit, take an initiative and see how much more that helps. Three things that I see happening here. And and I think this goes for us today in this identity crisis that we are in the midst of, that we are experiencing ourselves, but that we also can see, because we maybe are coming at it with different lenses than everybody else. I see that we can become meaning makers 
I see that we can become truth tellers. And I see that we could become faithful friends. So I think the most important thing we can communicate in this identity crisis is a coherent view, a compelling Christian worldview. And we're not starting from scratch. I mean, this is an account that's in the Bible. And even though for some people, they feel like God is a distant mystery, and that's all we could say, it's a distant mystery. Or for some people, they would say, God's just like a sick joke. The fact is deep within each of us lies both the belief that life ought to be meaningful and the desire to experience a life that reflects that meaning. The most staunch critic wants a meaningful life. And, and we can acknowledge that and we can be confident in that. And so I think that for a world that is adrift, we could give them is a sense of meaning to be meaning makers, people who make sense of life, people who make sense of God, who live in such a way that like we mean what we say, we do care about other people. When everybody else is just going around ambiguously or picking this cause or that cause, that we could be people who have integrity. Then the world becomes, when, you, when we have meeting, the world becomes valuable and relevant. And your existence becomes valuable and relevant. And the person in front of you is valuable and relevant. Because look, the way to unify in a diverse world is love. And, and this God is a God of love. And, and it states that you don't have, it's not inferred. It's, it's like right out there. And then the rules that you think that you have to follow because Christianity is going to be so tough and you don't want all those rules. So you'll wait till you're 40 after you've had your fun. Your behavior just follows that if, if that's the transformation. If the transformation is agape, mm -hmm. which is that, that highest love, don't worry about the rules because you won't have the stomach for doing some of the, those things, right? You won't be able to hurt someone without this conscious. You just, it'll, you know, pornography will disgust you because you love those people and you have a heart for those people and you don't want them doing those things. And then you think about what led them up to that sort of thing. You'll like how you feel. So you, your addictions will start to go away because you don't want to mess with that peace that you found. You know, the DBs is a band I like in the eighties and um, they had a song called love is for lovers. <laughs> and that's right. If you want love, get good at it. You'll have more than you can handle. Yeah. Right? Don't go looking for it. Start giving it. Exactly. And watch what happens. You'll experience that, you know? Oh, I love that. Yeah. And that adds so much sense. And not everything makes sense in life, let's face it. But it's complicated. It adds so much sense. And the ambiguity doesn't have to just exist if we know and can add meaning to people's lives. And it goes to this, you know, and we've been saying this, the world ripples with meaning simply because God is. Mm -hmm. We just point them to it. Show it to them. To you, you become that thing yeah. that he's called you to go. And then because, look, we're, we're primates, man. We learn by modeling. That's the strongest testament that you can give. It's not the clever things that you quote or anything like that might help. But the strongest statement is you become that thing. Then it's just evident that it exists in the world because somebody is experiencing it through you. Yeah. And there's meaning even in death. Yes. There's a great quote by Woody Allen years ago. He said, it's not so much that I'm afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> and it fractures families. It breaks friendships. It stops people, even cuts life short. And, you know, some of the Eastern worldviews see history as a cycle. We return as someone else or something else with no memory or meaning. But the Western view it sees it as random things of chance. And of course, that leads to despair. But to this, God adds a third view of life and death. It's not endless repetition or painful randomness. The Christian views death totally uniquely, not with despair, but with hope, because Jesus died and rose again. Death is centered to who we understand. We die to ourselves and live for Christ. We live a new life. We have hope, not as the world has, like wishful thinking, but hope that we live out today this bigger story. That's being a meaning maker. Second, these aren't quite as long as that, becoming a truth teller. The idea, we mentioned it as a joke, we communicate the option of truth. 
for somebody to say it's not possible to know anything for sure about anything, it's helpful to probe a little bit. The only thing we can know about religious things is that we can't know anything for certain. Why is truth not even an option? And you have to say it in winsome ways. Why is truth not even an option? And we can speak that kind of truth. Either Jesus is God with us or he's not. Yeah. And you always be kind, speak truth and love, because you don't want to say, well, if truth is an option, I'm going to stop listening to you. This is clearly BS. If I'm break it off because that works so well. (laughs) Yeah. And so like you, you said, the guy in front of you in the grocery store, that hit me so profoundly when you, when you said, we see people different, we see them with meaning, we see them with truth and we don't consult ourselves we acknowledge our truth exists beyond us. And that's really a unique perspective. Don't rely or lean on your own wisdom. It's not going to get you very far. Yeah. They call in the old days, they call that navel gazing, navel gazing. Yeah. Sit around and stare at our belly buttons. And how interesting is a belly button? That's probably the least interesting thing on my body. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take your word for that. (laughs) I don't use it for anything. Right. Store my M&Ms. Store lint. Uh, right. <laughs> store lint. It's like a dryer. <laughs> I found an old sock in there once. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's um, being a truth teller right there. <laughs> Meaning maker, truth teller. The last one, and I think is one of my favorites is the idea of we become faithful friends to people because it's not about us. We can be honest with our struggles. Let's face it. The world's filled with walking wounded. That was the best thing. The TV show came out the walking dead. There's a lot of walking wounded. That that, that show is a metaphor for the culture, you know, yeah. These, these zombies that are coming up there, I mean, that that's in our psyche and it's coming out in our stories. Mm-hmm. You know, the people are walking around through these addictions and the depression and the aggression. That's what we're seeing in those zombies. And then you have the people who are fighting, struggling against that. Yeah. Yeah. Alive and awake. Sort of alive. You know, they're not quite alive. I don't they mean the zombie people. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah who yeah, are battling sure. for life. Life is yes. a battle. I mean, it's kind of, there's a it lot. It is of- a struggle, but you know what? We need a struggle. If you don't have a struggle, find one. Find the right struggle because yeah. that's what that's where our meaning lies. It's it's not getting the reward. Mm-mm. Sometimes there's a giant dopamine crash after we get the reward, and then and, and until we find something else to chase we're not going to be feeling so great, right? You need to, and, and, and this is true of our religious, what, what I'm doing is I'm trying to learn as much about how our ancestors kept their focus on Christ, mm-hmm. right? And the way that they did that was they didn't have all these distractions we have right now, you know, billboards and commercials and um, all that kind of stuff. And the, the, So what they did was they did things like wear a prayer robe. Why wear a prayer robe? Because it reminds me to pray making the sign of the cross. That is a shortcut to get back into that consciousness of the Christ consciousness, having a prayer rule, pray during the day too, but to have a prayer rule, right? Where you have ritual and rhythms and put that rhythm into your day and start practicing these things instead of just trying to freestyle this whole thing. Do you know what I mean? It's too hard. There's just too many distractions. Mm -hmm. Pray before meal. The first time I met you, because I'm, you know, pagan, I met you at uh, what is it, Aubrey's? Aubrey's or Red Rick, was it? And so as soon as the food comes out, I'm digging in like a um, dog, you know, food. And then you're like, oh, we should pray. And I'm like, oh, yeah. See, th- th- those things are, really help to remind you who you are and brings you to meaning. Those rituals are very, they're not nothing, right? They're important. So I would bring those in, read the scripture. Well, I don't have time. Okay, now ask yourself why, what's more important than that at that time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. watching survivor right the idea of establishing common ground with people so good humor can be that pop culture can be that and that's kind of what paul did to add meaning back into life he saw what was going on and uh i think i would say this and maybe this is a wrap-up for these last six weeks our identity i believe is found in god 
We just have to discover it. We don't have to create it. And who we are and who we're defined to be is people made right with God through Christ. It's all about who he is. And that's where I find I'm restored. My favorite word is restoration these days. I am restored to wholeness. I became the man I was created to be. And that's, I think, the way out of this meaningless, purposeless living is God's invitation. Come on a journey with me that is beyond meaninglessness and purposelessness. And it's like Jesus says, I have a map. I am the way. Enter into this journey with me. And it's going to be an awesome, awesome walk journey. So that's what I got. I like what you got what you gave that that's that's great stuff i appreciate this was a this was a really cool series let's do it again let's do it again how about we pray let's pray god thank you so much that i don't have to go searching for some identity like it's not invented yet or cling to whatever culture i think i want to identify with but that i would find my identity in you and in community in that way and Lord, that I would live it out, that I would be a meaning maker for, for someone going through stuff, that I would be a truth teller, and that I wouldn't just be perpetuating whatever fantasies or games people want to play, and that I would be a faithful friend. Jesus, you said, you are no longer, I no longer call you servants or slaves, but friends. And that is amazing. Thank you so much for who you are and who we are because of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you like what you're hearing, join us at Patreon. You can talk to us personally there, get cool merchandise and exclusive video content and more. Just go to patreon.com and search for the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can get involved for as little as $1 a month. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.